Well, if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, and it's in your bulletin, but we're also going to be coming back to James chapter 4, which is printed in your bulletin, so keep that handy. We're going to come back to that. Um, I have found it very helpful to to, uh, give some insight into Genesis chapter 3, so we'll talk about that a little bit. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, and as you're doing that, I'll tell you that uh, perhaps you noticed that Google this week released their, uh, their trends list for 2022, what people search for. Um, they're watching you. Um, and uh, the Google Trends does something interesting. They, they provide insight into what people are searching, so they try to look through all of their data and, and then try to summarize a little bit. What are people looking for? And uh, they have a, about a two-minute video on the trends.google.com website that's fascinating. Um, I would have liked to have played it for you here, but it's not, it's not necessarily appropriate for Sunday worship. So, but I want to... But in that video, they, they kind of unpack what they feel like people were searching for this year. Two things. People are searching for ways to change themselves and ways to change the world around them. Might be surprising, might not be. But listen to some of the questions that they highlighted as they, they talked about. Ways to change ourselves. Questions like, can I change? Can I change myself? Can I change my life? Can I change my career, my outlook, my style? Uh, How can I be more positive? How can I be a better friend? How can I start again? Can I evolve? So people are searching for ways to change themselves. And they're also searching for ways to change the world around them. They ask questions like, "Can, can I create change? Can I go to space? Can I level up? Um, how can I be fearless? Is anything possible? Uh, all these questions and, and longings and desires to see uh, pervasive change take place through them. And Google kind of summed it up at the end of the video by saying, to everyone who sees not what the world is, but what it can be, search on. Friends, our nation and our neighbors are longing for renewal. They want personal renewal for themselves, and they want to see pervasive renewal for their world. But renewal implies a return to something that once was, uh, something that once was but is now lost. It, It implies that something should be one way, but it isn't as it should be anymore. And so we've seen in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that God has revealed what what once was and what should be. We spent several weeks in those chapters uh, learning how the world was supposed to be. It was supposed to be human beings in right relationship with God, in right relationship with themselves, in right relationship with one another, and in right relationship with creation, with all that God has made. But now we've been in Genesis chapter 3, 
thinking together, discovering um, why things are, not, are now not the way they're supposed to be. And we've learned that human, humankind has rejected their relationship with God and has ruined every other relationship. Our relationship with him, with ourselves, with one another, with all that God has made. So last week, Eric drew our attention to the brokenness of our relationship with creation, with uh, our relationship with our work in the world. Um, today, we're going to think about how our ruined relationship with God has ruined our relationships with one another. So if you would stand with me, we'll look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 19. Hear the word of the God who loves you. And this is right after Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the time we have now to look at it together. Uh, would you speak to us? Um, search us. Know us. Um, try our thoughts. Test our thoughts. And help us to see um, what it is that is in us uh, that you would like to renew in us. And help us to see Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. So Christmas is about relationships, right? Well, of course, Jimmy. Christmas is a time for getting together with the people we love. Or maybe 
maybe when that happens, we find out that Christmas is a time when all the dysfunction of our families is revealed. Um, for some folks, Christmas with the family is not always uh, a merry one. But there's, it's more than that. It's more than about being together with those we love. It's more than about finding out how dysfunctional we are, being reminded of that again. It, Chris, Christmas is about the renewal of relationships, about the hope that relationships can be renewed. And so in order for us to discover that renewal, there's three questions for us to consider this morning in God's Word. The first question is this. What's gone wrong with our relationships? There's a pattern of relational brokenness that we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 3. So the first question, what's gone wrong with our relationships? The second question, how does that relational brokenness show up in my daily life? We're going to see that we still practice the same pattern that we're going to find in Genesis chapter 3. And the third question is, what hope do we have that our relationships can be renewed? Even now, there's, there's a promise uh, that change in our relationships is possible. We're going to see that in just a little bit. So, we're going to see a pattern in Genesis 3. We're going to talk about how we still practice that pattern. And we're going to hear God's promise about what he's done to help renew our relationships. So, let's, let's get started. First, what's gone wrong with our relationships? What is this pattern of relational brokenness that's in Genesis chapter 3? Well, it's simply this. Our horizontal relationships with people are broken because our vertical relationship with God is broken. Wait a second. Our vertical, our horizontal relationships with people are broken because our vertical relationship with God is broken. That's not real new news, uh, Pastor Jimmy. I, I, I know this already. I'm, I'm a good student of Genesis and the Bible, and I realize that the brokenness in my relationship with God overflows to brokenness in my, in my horizontal relationships. Um, but you got to remember something. Over and over and over again, God says in the Bible to his people, remember, 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 remember. And the reason he keeps saying remember and remember and remember is because we forget and forget and forget. And so a lot of what we do on Sunday mornings is just join God in his chorus of remember, don't forget this, remember this. So even though this is very uh, simple, you've heard it before, um, let's remember it. Let's think a, a little bit more about it this morning together. Um, I was encouraged uh, and challenged by it as I thought about it for the last couple of weeks. Is a reminder to me. So, but first, we, before we look at that pattern of brokenness, I want to remind us of how the relationship with God was broken, how Adam and Eve's relationship with God was broken. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but let me just review it really quickly. Um, it started with deception, right? The serpent comes along and says to Eve, God is holding out on you. He can't be trusted to give you everything you really need. There's something good that he won't let you take and taste. So, 
there's this deception. And then that leads to a discontentment. And Eve says, you know what? That does look good. And she starts to forget all of the, everything else she's been given in the garden. It, God has said, you can have any tree except that one. But she becomes discontent. And she says, no, that looks good. Not only to taste, but to transform me, to give me something that I don't have. So deception and then discontentment. And then that turns into a demand. And she says, I, I want something more than what God is for me and more than what God has given to me. I have to have this. And out of that demand, she, she takes and she tastes. She disobeys the command of her God who loves her and gave her everything that she would ever need. Adam and Eve did not trust God's heart, and so they didn't obey his word. They didn't do what he said. So Adam and Eve broke fellowship with God. You know, the Bible talks about the, that broken relationship with God as an adulterous affair, that we, God's people, are his bride, and Adam and Eve uh, rejected him ran away from him into the arms of another lover. God describes our relationship with God as a friendship. And Adam and Eve, and we have betrayed him and instead of friends have become his enemy. So that's how it started. That's how the relationship was broken. Now, let's look at the pattern of what is the result of that brokenness. First, the the pattern in the vertical relationship with God is hiding from God and hostility toward him. Hiding from God. Instead of drawing near to God, Adam and Eve hide from him in the trees. Verses 8 through 10 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was apparently something they did with God. They had a friendship with God, a partnership with God, an, enjoying, an enjoyable relationship with him. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Of course, he knew where he was, but he'd say, Where are you in, in relation to me right now? We'll come back to that. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You see, the people who once had a friendship with God, an intimate relationship with the God who made them, now are afraid to be around him because they understand that they are guilty for rejecting him, for betraying him. So hiding from God and then hostility toward God. Instead of being friends with God, they start pointing the finger at God and blaming God. God says in verse 11, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Which is interesting because, remember, the serpent said, did God say you shouldn't do this? The word God uses is a lot stronger than God just said. He says, I commanded you. The serpent um, conveniently didn't use that kind of strong language. He didn't say, did God command you? Or is it just something he suggested? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Which, when he did, 
he, it was a hostile act of disobedience to the command of God. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Here's where the finger pointing starts. It starts with pointing the finger at God. If you hadn't given me that woman, I wouldn't be in this mess, Lord. This is on you, God, not me. And in verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. In other words, your creature tricked me. If you hadn't made that serpent, I wouldn't be in this mess. So, instead of being friends with God, they start to point the finger at him and blame him. So there's hiding from God, there's hostility toward God, and now that hiding and hostility carry over into their horizontal relationships with one another. They are hiding from one another. Instead of their friendship, they covered themselves in fig leaves to hide from one another. The eyes of both of them were open, verse 7 says. They knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They're, they're hiding from one another now. They were once naked and unashamed, enjoying complete, unhindered fellowship with one another. Now, they don't want to be seen. And then they were hostile toward one another. Instead of being the intimate allies that God had created them to be who fight together for good and against evil, now they're finger pointing at each other and fighting with each other. Instead of pointing to the snake and saying, uh, hey Eve, don't listen to him, let's get him out of here. Um, They're pointing the finger at each other. Instead of fighting evil, And fighting for good, they're fighting one another. Verse 12, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. He's pointing that finger at her. She gave it to me. Verse 16, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband." but he shall rule over you. Now this, last, this last part of this verse, I want to zoom in on this for just a moment to, uh, to understand it. Your desire shall be, it literally says, shall be toward your husband, but he shall rule over you. This is where the fighting uh, begins. Um, Genesis 4, 7 just a chapter later, uses this exact same wording in talking uh, to Cain after Cain is angry at his brother Abel. Um, God says this to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's the same language that God used when he was talking to Eve. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he, but he shall rule over you. So sin is being described as a lurking animal ready to pounce with a desire to master and possess Cain. And so um, Eve's desire would be, God says, to master and possess her husband, Adam. 
And then that word rule, Cain was told, you must rule over the sin. The word for rule here is not the same one used in chapter 1 where it says, where God uh, gave them dominion over uh, creation and told them to subdue it and rule it. It's, it's not that kind of benevolent flourishing rule. It's, it's the word for rule that means more of a conquering, crushing rule. And so, yes, Cain was supposed to conquer and crush this sin that was seeking to pounce on him and master him. He was supposed to kill it. Um, but notice that God didn't tell Eve that Adam should rule over her. He just said he would. And that rule would not be loving and kind and meant for her flourishing. It would be the kind that would want to conquer and crush her. So, though the things that are said about uh, their relationships to one another are, are different, the essence of the you know, that the woman would want to master and possess him and he would want to conquer and crush her, uh, the essence of their relationship toward each other is the same. The goal of the fallen male or female heart is to subdue and control and exploit the other person for its own desires. So this is, this is what we're left with, friends. <laughs> this, this fighting, this, and, and this is Adam and Eve, but they pass it on to their children, as we're going to see in chapter 4. And, and it goes on and on and on, and it's the same between us all. This desire to control, subdue, exploit other people for our own desires. That's the pattern. Your vertical relationship with God will determine your horizontal relationship with people. And so our broken friendship with God leads to fig leaves, finger pointing, and fighting. But now... We see that pattern there. As I was studying this, I was drawn to James chapter 4 because I feel like James chapter 4 does a great job of showing us what this pattern practically looks like in our everyday relationships right now. So if you'll find James chapter 4, I just want to briefly show you how this pattern shows up. Uh, in our everyday relationships right now. Again, it's, it's in your bulletin. And I have it in the uh, Net Bible version there. So let's look at James 4. He says, where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? So rather than starting with our relationship with God, James starts with our fighting with one another with the conflicts and quarrels that we have with one another. Um, He says, is it not from this, from your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. So already we see this, uh, this hiding and hostility between people, this finger pointing and fighting going on conflict and quarreling, 
And James is saying, where does that come from? It comes from a discontentedness and a demandingness that's already in you. There's something you want that you're not getting. Now, you may experience that on Christmas morning. Maybe there's something you're expecting and hoping for and desiring that you're not going to get. And, um, or maybe somebody else gets what you wanted, and it could lead to some uh, finger-pointing and fighting and a little bit of hostility. But, but I think James is talking about even more serious kinds of passions and desires. And some of those desires may be good desires, legitimate desires, and some of them may not be good or legitimate desires. Dan Allender um, has a great way that he describes uh, lust, and the word used for desires here is the word that is in other places translated lust. Um, he says that lust doesn't have to be sexual. It can be any kind of inordinate desire, but it has two uh, ways that we experience it. Lust can be a desire that is out of balance, and so it could be a desire for something that God would want you to have, something that is good, uh, but your desire for it is out of, out of balance. It's too much. It becomes um, uh, an all-consuming desire. But then there's also the kind of lust or desire that is out of bounds. In other words, it's a desire that God says you should not have, as in this tree that Adam and Eve ate from. He draws a line. This is the boundary. You shall not want something that's outside of what he has told you uh, to want. So these desires can be out of good desires that are out of balance or desires that are out of bounds and out of what God uh, allows us to have. So what's happening here in James is these desires are battling inside us and we are taking them to each other. We want something and I want something uh, and I don't get it. And so I, he says you kill and you covet or you murder and envy. Uh, yes, it could be actual murder, but I think... Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, is thinking uh, along Jesus' lines that we use our words to murder. Um, we, we try to control. Uh, so our discontentedness and our desires become demands. You have got to give this to me. And I don't give it to you, and you get angry. Let's keep going. But James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And it, obviously he's assuming you do not ask God. You don't talk to God about what you desire. You ask, and then sometimes you do ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your passions. James is saying, you don't go to God for what you need and want. You try to get it yourself from someone or somewhere else, and sometimes you try to get God to join you in your demanding plan to get what you want. You're asking with wrong desire, with wrong motives to spend it on your own passions. And then he says, here's what's at the root of all your broken horizontal relating. It's your broken vertical relationship with God. This is how he says it. Verse 4, adulterers. 
Do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility toward God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. I was reading that this week, and I thought, that's, he's describing Genesis 3 right there. He's describing what Adam and Eve did and what you and I do. You know, you read this in James, and you start to think, well, yeah, I can see conflicts, quarrels, uh, passions, battling. I'm not getting what I want, so I get angry. And then all of a sudden, he says, you're an adulterer. You're an enemy of God. Well, that's, that seems a bit extreme, James. But he's only saying what Genesis 3 tells us, that the reason we have such conflict with people is because we have been adulterous in our relationship with God. We have made ourselves his enemy. And these are haunting words. Whoever decides to be the world's friend, that's what Adam and Eve did. Whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. It doesn't say he becomes an enemy to God, that we make God our enemy. We make ourselves his enemy. That's, a, that's what is at the very root of all of our horizontal broken relationships. Look, think for a minute about what this looks like what James 4 looks like in your marriage. Husbands and wives, think for a minute about the last argument, fight, whatever other nicer word you want to use for it, discussion, um, where there was a battle. (laughs) Um, Ask yourself, What was it that I wanted? What was it that I wanted my wife to give to me, to do for me? Um, Maybe not even tangibly, physically, but relationally, emotionally. Um, What was it that I wanted that she wasn't giving that made me mad? Was it respect? Wives do the same. Um, Here's one for all the students in the room, all the siblings in the room. So this Christmas you can work on this. When you get in a fight with your brother or sister uh, next, stop and say, what is it I want that my sibling is not giving me right now? That ruins all the fun of the fight, I know. But that might help. Um, What is it that I want that I'm not getting that makes me so angry? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's riding shotgun. I don't know. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's I I want them to notice me, listen to me, care about me, not make me feel like I'm the, the last and least of the family. But what is it that I want that I'm not getting? As I um, spent some time really chewing on James 4, this passage, this past week, I thought about 
you know, this happens in church too, right? Um, quarrels, conflicts. Uh, we want something that we're not getting. We demand. We uh, we clash. And um, don't worry, this isn't about you. This is going to be about the pastor. Um, I I wrestled with before God and wrote down a bunch of notes from this passage of pastors do this. <laughs> you know, we want you know, we want what Adam and Eve were made to do. We want relationship and we want to do something that makes an impact. All of us were built for this. This is some of those good desires that God gives us that we get out of balance. Um, and you do this at work too, I'm sure. Um, you want love and belonging and affection and appreciation. Or you want recognition or uh, approbation for an attaboy for, or girl for your work or whatever. And you know what pastors do? We let all that get out of balance. And we start to say, nobody likes me. Nobody, nobody told me that was an awesome sermon. Don't tell me that was an awesome sermon when we're done. This is not the point of that. I'm confessing to you that I, I do this. I do this. And you know why? Because I don't, because I don't go back to God. I don't ask God. I don't say, God, why do I need somebody to make me feel like I belong? I belong to you. I'm your beloved son. I have all the belonging I need. I have all the affection I need in him. And God, why do I, uh, why do I over-demand appreciation or applause or, or approval or whatever it is? Um, it's not wrong to want to be uh, wrong to want to make an impact it is wrong to demand that I know that I'm making one and so God you you said I've called you to go do this you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased go be the pastor I've called you to be Jimmy and don't try to get from your people Stuff that you need to get from me. Then you'll be free to love them. Confession time over. Thank you for listening. But I'm just trying to illustrate for you. This is how we struggle with demanding from others. So here's some questions for you to consider. Who are you in conflict with? Who are you angry at? Who are you avoiding? Sometimes that's a really good way to know who you're in conflict with or angry at is, who do I avoid? Second question, what do you want that they're not giving you? Is it a good desire, a good thing, like wanting their love, wanting their appreciation, but it's out of balance, something that God says is okay, but you want it too much? Or is it a wrong desire? Is it something you want from them that God doesn't want you to have? It's out of bounds. 
is this desire something you could ask God for? He says, you do not have because you do, you do not ask. Is it something that you could ask God for? If it's not, then you pretty much know, well, that one's out of bounds. But here's another question. Are you asking God to give you something that you will cherish more than you cherish him? I think that's part of what James means when he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your passions. In other words, would you ask God to give you something that you would love more than God? Just an interesting thing to think about. What does your demand for this desire say about what you think about God's heart for you? You see, if, if we go all the way back to Eve and Adam, um, they didn't trust that God's heart for them was good. They didn't trust that all that he was for them and all that he had given them was enough. And so they demanded something else. What does your demand for what you desire say about what you think about God's heart for you? Are you content with all that God is for you and all that God has given you? That's some of how the pattern is practiced now. So let me, let me close with this. What hope? What hope do we have that our relationships can be renewed? Well, James tells us. He goes on in verse 6. He says, but God gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and make your hearts pure, you double-minded Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning and your joy into despair. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Friends, our hope in renewed relationships with each other comes from the hope we have for a renewed relationship with God that he invites us to. He gives greater grace, James says. When, when we said, no thanks, God, the grace you've given me already is not enough. I want more. He said, I have even more grace for you, even greater grace to give you. You may hide from me, but I will not hide from you. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you in person, in the flesh. You may be hostile to me, but I'm coming to die on a cross to cancel all of your sin, all of the sin that made me your enemy and made you mine. Friends, Christmas is God asking the question to us, where are you? Where are you? And it's not because he, he wants to know your location. He wants to know, where's your heart with me? Christmas is God showing up in the flesh, looking for you, and asking, how are we? <laughs> where are we? How's our relationship? I'm coming to you. Come out of your hiding. Repent. Drop the leaves. Drop the leaves and stand before me in all of your guilt and shame and nakedness and hostility toward me. I'm here. Come out of hiding. Stand 
exposed before the God who made you and loves you and who will cover you. Christmas is God's question to Eve. What is this you have done? He comes in the flesh. He says, have you done what I commanded you not to do by taking and tasting what I said you can't have? Have you doubted that I'm enough? Have you sought to satisfy your soul on something other than me? Here I am, lying in a feeding trough. Here I am, in a feeding trough, in a town whose name means house of bread. Come, take and taste all that I am for you in Jesus, he says. I am what you most desire. I'm what you most need. Christmas is God, the uh, abandoned husband, running after you, his adulterous bride. Christmas is God, the betrayed friend, reaching out his nail-scarred hand uh, to end the hostility and to renew his friendship with you. Friends, Christmas is God's way of saying, come back to me. If there's any hope for your relationships with each other, start with me. Let's renew this one. Come back to me. Submit to me. Resist that devil. Resist him. Don't listen to him. I am enough for you. And those people are not. They'll never be enough for you. They'll never be able to give you all that you need. I came to draw near to you in Jesus. Now draw near to me and I will continue to draw near to you again and again and again and be everything that satisfies your soul. But friends, will you humble yourself, he says. Will you humble yourself enough? Grace, grace runs to the lowest place. Will you put yourself there, he says. Will you lower yourself to admit that I am what you need? I am what your relationships need. That's all I have for you. Let me pray. Father, um, thank you for, for that word to me this week that, that all of the brokenness in my relationships with people come because I've not, I'm not enjoying you as my friend. All of the brokenness in my relationships with people come because I'm trying to demand from them the things that only you can give. Or I'm trying to demand from them things that you say I don't need. And so would you come and help us as Mountain Fellowship, help us, each and every one of us, to examine our relationships, to examine our own hearts and say, what is it that I'm demanding that I need to take to God? And I need him to show me either you don't need that or I'm the one who will give it to you. So, Lord, this Christmas, would you restore us to yourself Renew our relationship. Renew the sweetness and intimacy of our friendship with you, Lord God. 
and thank you for this table that proves that that's what you want more than anything. You want to be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.